Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Fall Licensee Conference Call. At this time, I would like to turn the, uh, the call to our host, Mark Husterman. Thank you. Thanks, RJ. Hi, everybody. Hope everybody's uh, looking forward to a good call. We have a ton to do. I have 40 questions. I have 90 minutes. We may not get to a QA. and uh, I've timed myself twice. I barely finish in time, so here we go. Question number one is from John. Um, I, and by the way, folks, I'm not going to be reading the questions. I apologize. I hope you read them in advance. We've got too many great questions from too many great listeners, uh, licensees. John, I would just simply say what you're asking about is not feedback. It implies, when you talk about giving feedback, it implies that someone did something wrong, um, but implications are not good. We found over and over again that our model, the feedback model, first allows you to be incredibly specific about behavior in situations where you really have to be. People expect you to be specific. Um, and at the same time, our model focuses on the positive future you want to encourage them towards. That's the whole point of feedback. I don't think your model works for a situation where someone is rude to a customer in a meeting, for instance, or leaves out pages of a deck that they're working on. It leaves open the question of what they did, what they actually did, in the name of constructiveness, and I'll come back to that, which leads, we found, to a great deal more pushback than our model actually does. The reason our model is the way it is, we try almost every other model. Uh, if you said, hey, if you send me a completed deck, I'm able to finish it more quickly, that's far more likely to create the exchange, I did give you a completed deck. What are you saying? It's not completed? Well, no, you actually didn't say it wasn't completed. You just implied that in the future they ought to give you a completed one. Well, why would it be negative feedback unless they didn't? Um, the assumption that they know exactly what you're talking about is just too big, and it's based on the false idea that we oughtn't, po oughtn't point out people's mistakes. But, but look, if you deliver feedback, the feedback model right, and, and if you think about that you're asking about the future and you keep it relaxed and not accusatory as opposed to just saying you did something wrong, the problems that people have with getting feedback go away. What you're suggesting, your model makes it easier for you and it actually makes it harder for the direct. Right, right when you want them thinking about the future, they're guessing about what they did or didn't do, which is backwards. Um, and your model also includes the word if. One of the biggest negatives in, in a model like this is the word if. It's, it's really bad. Okay? Constructiveness is one of the big wrong directions of the management world. A few years ago, I would have called it a joke. Now I'm just going to say I used to say that. Maybe in a couple of years I won't even mention that it's a joke. The idea of constructiveness, constructive criticism, for instance, is ludicrous in the minds of directs. Over and over, people have told us directly, data has shown, statistics have shown, directs do not mind discussing their mistakes at all. But they do mind being ridiculed or belittled or singled out or having personal attacks made, none of which the feedback model does. The problem is, up until now, that's the way managers thought they would do it. So, I can't recommend your model. You're welcome to try it. You're welcome to gather data, but I wouldn't do it. Next question is from James about a recent job move. Um, look, um, if, if you want a great answer from me, guys, if you read this question, this is not a great question. Okay? What new role are you in? What two choices do you have? What's meaningful? What, why is it so frantic? Why is it not interesting? What are your skills? Why was it not a fit? Okay, I'm not going to be James up. Now, now, in this case, I, I sent an email. And, and got a great reply, and so I really do understand the question. I'm, I'm sorry we didn't change the, the slide, but I wanted to make a point of how to ask good questions. Um, and the answer is, James, I definitely feel, in your case, you can go talk to your boss. You can. You have a good relationship with your boss. That's a key part of this. Um, 
yeah, it'd be better if you had more time in your role, um, but, but it's okay. It really is okay. And I, I don't – look, guys, people talk to me about their reputation all the time. I think we've learned too much from the political world about how we're supposed to protect our reputation. The way a professional protects his or her reputation after the fact is does good work and builds relationships. Okay? I, I, I think communicating to colleagues, you can say, look, the role was not what I intended it to be. Um, and I was lucky enough to have a great boss who saw that this role was not right for me, and we agreed to find a better role for me. And I wouldn't have done this had my boss not agreed. And that sends a, sends a big message about how you're not simply going to leave something and leave anybody else that you're working with in the lurch. Um, so a, a good question on the second run, but this would be – if you guys – if any of you wrote in a bunch of assumptions to this answer – in order to answer this question, uh, or you wrote in assumptions in your mind to this question, don't do that. I can promise you, after a lifetime of answering management questions, you don't want to assume a bunch of stuff and then have the person who asked you a question say, no, that's not what I meant, and you're wrong, and so therefore your answer's wrong, and you have no credibility. All right. Um, question number three from Eric. Um, assuming you're understaffed, look, Eric, it's different in every case. As a general rule, the answer is, knowing when you're understaffed, is when big balls major responsibilities of yours and others get dropped, and there are operational or strategic failures, just at the team strategic level, strategic failures from a team, which at the time that those balls are dropped, the team is behaving effectively, it's working on the right things, and it's as efficient as it can be, in other words, doing those big things in a reasonably time, cost, time and cost-sensitive kind of way. No, like I, I can't help but, but reading your question feel like you disagree with our previous guidance on this topic, and, and, and that's okay. It's okay to disagree with us. We're, you know, we do our best. Not every answer we give is perfect. So I, I doubt we would agree on what constitutes effectiveness and efficiency in your team. Um, I, you know, I wasn't sure that that was the case. You didn't give me enough specifics to answer you. But, but th that said, um, Look, based on what you're saying in your, in your question, why don't you just go ask your boss? Put together your case for why you need more people since you believe you need them. Tell your boss what you've alluded to. If you go to your – but let me put it this way. I, sometimes I end up answering for all executives. If you tell your boss everyone's complaining, there's not enough time, there's not enough help, we're too lean, we've gone too far, too much work, too small a group, you're in trouble. That, that is not dispositive of, of, of the solution. Uh, it, it, the executive who got that would say, uh, no, sorry, that doesn't tell me anything. Um, so you've got to go back and you've got to prove you're effective, you've got to prove you're efficient, and then you have to show what strategic failures you've you, you got coming up. Okay? Show how there have been operationally significant failures after creating the effective and efficient team. And you're going to have to talk about what your team is working on and what it's not working on. Do that. And you'll get more of whatever resources you need, okay? Um, but but not, not without something very close to that. Okay, next question. Number four, when is Mark's book due to published? This year. <laughs> I got so busy, and I love questions like this. It's going to be a short one. I got so busy in Q1 and, and, and Q2 uh, that I totally failed to prioritize the actions necessary to push it out the door at the end of Q2. Uh, regarding your further questions, we don't have any plans for licensees to pre-purchase. To us, that just seems not right to take your money in advance before the product comes out. And look, guys, we'll have enough copies on hand, and we'll have a good backup plan to address the demand. Okay, we will. Um, we're going to publish it ourselves, um, and we have the cash to do it. 
There will be versions for all the e-readers. It's harder than you think, but we'll have that for you guys. Look, I have to have surgery on my knee in late November. I never thought I'd have to say this, but I'm important enough that I can't have unscheduled surgery. Um, and I told the doc, well, we'll just wait to tear all the way. He says, no, if it tears all the way, you'll have to have surgery within a week, and you won't be able to go anywhere for three weeks. Well, I can't do that. I, I, I can't just cancel three, four, five weeks of client things that are already in the books. So we've scheduled it for the end of November. That means I'm pretty much taking December off from travel, uh, in part because I can't get on a plane. So that might be a good time to have it out by because I've been asked to sign an awful lot of copies. And, guys, look, I have no track record of success in answering this question. So uh, if I'm wrong, I'm not going to feel terribly bad about it. Uh, we see the book as, as a new distribution channel, and it will create new problems for us, new opportunities and, and new problems as well. And it always makes me feel good when you ask. I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be pretty boring for those of you who have done the Trinity. Um, number five, Charles. Uh, there's nothing special to put in a thank you note after you've accepted your position other than thanks for the great process you went through and you look forward to a great professional and personal experience with whomever you're writing it to. Whatever you do, I think you ought to know this, do not ask any questions. Do not imply that you have questions. There are plenty of other venues for that, like email, for instance. Um, for the record, guys, we're not against email thank yous. We are against the idea that was taken old a number of years ago that they could take the place of an handwritten one. They never will. Okay, um, so I, I don't have any problem with you sending an email thank you because they were having a meeting so quickly, but I would have sent one, I would have sent a handwritten one afterwards the way you're asking. Now, your, your question doesn't specifically say they offered you the job and, and you accepted. It does say you have accepted, but it almost sounds like it's future perfect, like it may be potentially that happens. Uh, I've had to assume that's the case. If, if that's not true, and you've only sent an email thank you, but you haven't sent an actual handwritten thank you, and they haven't offered you and you haven't accepted, my guidance is different. It's you, then you thank them for the interview process, not about a future with the company. Okay? But I'm glad somebody's thinking about email. Okay. This is my longest answer of the night. This next one, I'm, I'm going to time it to be really, really careful. Uh, number six about Andy about intellectual property. Uh, I want to answer it specifically first, and then I want to give some explanation. If you're a manager and you either have a license or you've been to a conference, you may use our materials, uh, slides, show notes, to brief your team. Okay? And you may make copies of those materials related to the Trinity for your team. Okay? If you're a manager with a license, you may also periodically, maybe once a month, one or two times a month to one or two people, make a copy of some of our show notes or slides and share them with some of your team. That's called fair use. Okay? Um, a license is not a right to make copies of everything you have access to for all your team members. Okay? If you're not a licensee, only some documents are available to you. In fact, I think just the one-on-one -on -one form. To brief your team, if you're not a licensee, you may create some basic documents to assist in your briefing. Gosh, I sure would. Okay. If you create them, then, of course, you can share them. There are some limits on this. It's called derivative works. I don't want to go into intellectual property law, but Mike and I have to know this stuff. It's really frustrating. Um, uh, if you're a manager and not a licensee, you're pretty limited in how much you can share. What you create, you can share with your team. Uh, it, it, would, it would hurt our feelings, if that matters, that you would create a bunch of materials and then share those outside of your team. That's actually not, not legal. Okay? Having your directs listen to casts, some people are doing that now. We kind of love it. Does not create 
a, an obligation or a right that you have in the license to share materials with them. Listening means nothing. All of our casts are licensed to the individual listening to them. And the license, when purchases, is actually for additional materials. It has nothing to do. The, the license you buy from us is not for the, the spoken word. Now, none of the privileges I just mentioned apply to your directs, particularly if they're managers. If you're a manager of managers, you sharing documents with them with, because, they're, because you have a license as your directs um, does not allow them to use them in any other way as your direct. They cannot present those documents to their directs in any way. Okay. Now, now, look, guys, I say cannot. Legally, I say they cannot. I mean, we, we can't stop you. Uh, we really can't. We know we can't. We know it's happening, and we can't stop you. Um, you can't use our materials or create derivative works, even with a license, outside of your team of directs. And holy Toledo, you cannot share our documents in a corporate training program. Oh, my gosh. You'd be competing with us, and more importantly, you'd be violating the license. Uh, your individual license barely includes your team as a matter of fair use. It's definitely not for your organization. And, and you know what, guys? I, I love this question because it means this person is trying to be really honest and scrupulous in his dealings with us. It's very heartening for us. And there's a dark side of these questions for those people who aren't willing to ask. And, yeah, people put up websites and use our stuff, and we have to sue them. It happens. Mind-boggling, but it happens. I guess it's, you know, imitation is a serious form of flattery. Um, okay. Furthermore, by the way, you can't listen to our stuff, create a derivative work, or have HR do it for you and call that ethical. It, it may, in fact, be legal, but, boy, if HR did that, I'd have a new reason to hate HR. Now, look, guys, we did all this stuff on purpose. It's not to make money. Not, we didn't do it to restrict your use, but to protect our materials, which we believe are the only ones like them in the world today. Mike and I lost money at this for a long time. The cost of the license, in our opinion, is a joke compared to its value. And we think it's fair, and it's definitely legal, to ask you to become a licensee to allow you to use our materials with your team. Everything you hear or see from us is completely copyrighted. And by the way, not just copyrighted because we said it, because everything you write down actually has a copyright, um, it, but, but we actually file for copyrights. Um, and look, we're serious about protecting it. If we came to your firm and found lots of copies of our stuff lying around without licensing rights, yeah, we'd sue you. And look, we, we don't want to sue you. I kind of hate lawyers. Um, we probably couldn't afford to sue you if you're a big firm, but we'd make certain we'd be interested in supporting you in, in the future. And, and the simple fact is, if everyone in listening engages in behavior that is equivalent to the tragedy of the commons, and if you don't know what that is, look it up on Wikipedia, there won't be a manager tool at some point. And without manager tools, there's no archive. Um, but look, guys, we can make this easy. The casts are free. If you tell me your directs don't have time and you don't have the money for a license for them, so you want to use your license to help them, no offense, but in a bad day, I'd say that's damn selfish. I dare you to say that to my face. Uh, if you remember the quote, information wants to be free, that was Stuart Brand. He wasn't saying free as in no cost. He wasn't saying free as in beer. He was saying free as in liberty. But also remember that he said immediately after that, in the next sentence, information always also wants to be expensive. Folks, part of the reason we're so slow with new products is we own the company. We, we, we will not sell it. We don't make a ton of money. I have to be on the road rather than recording and developing more digital products and getting my book out the door to pay our bills. Um, 
I'm willing to be poor to do this relative to being rich a few years ago, but I'm not willing to be cheated while I'm being poor. Um, and, and the final thing is many of you know, you've listened for years. We trust you. If you believe Mike and I and Wendy and Danny and Maggie would support what you're doing when you're doing it, remembering that Mike was the deputy honor captain at West Point when we were classmates there, do it. And, and then be willing to say it to our face. All right, way too long, sorry. Daniel's question. Um, easy question, not an easy question to answer. There's so much left to assume. I'm going to assume in this case, Daniel, that you are distant from your headquarters, but you're not necessarily distant from your people. Maybe you are from both, but I can't tell. And the answer to your question, and by the way, it's a great question. I love it. The answer is through email and phone calls and extending your corporate visits to, to the mothership to include coffee and lunch and outreach and chats and so on. This is what executives do, guys. They, they go to corporate headquarters, and they go for an extra day. They go a half day early, and they have coffee and lunch and dinner plans and drinks with people and so on. Then they're busy for the day, but they miss a couple of the meetings they're scheduled to be in to go press flush with other people. I mean, they shake hands. And then they go to dinner with a couple people, and they stay the next morning. And rather than getting home by noon the next day, they stay at corporate until noon the next day and fly home that evening or that afternoon. Um, and, and almost no one does this. And if you want better support from corporate, all you need to do is have friends there. The reason people support folks, people at corporate, support folks in the field differentially is based on their relationships with those people in the field. So build them. Reach out. Stay in touch. When you get a better than awful answer from somebody, ask if you can call that person directly in the future. Thank them specifically at the end of the exchange. Write them a personal thank you note. Don't ever per be peremptory with them. Always subordinate yourself. Don't tell them you're going to partner with them. What a joke. Corporate people don't think about partnering. They think about deigning to give you your answers you need. Don't partner with, you know, be subordinate to them. Beseech them. Keep in mind who responds and who doesn't. Get you and your people to nail requests from the people who are nice to you and relatively, relatively underemphasize requests from those people who don't like you and don't act, don't respond to your uh, your requests. And this is going to be a cast because it's just such a great question. I wish more people knew this. Uh, it's about relationships. Okay. Well, Number three eight. minutes behind. Yep, thanks. Um, okay, Aaron's question about unions. I think you should kick the union out, Aaron. Oh, wait, did I just say that in my out loud voice? Look, the manager tools way is agnostic on unions. We've never heard of a union contract stipulating against relationships or against tactical feedback. Um, coaching and delegation are harder for some workers, usually underperformers, but very few managers get to those things, and so we're probably okay there. I don't think promotions are that big a motivator for people. most people. Honestly, they are for some, a lot of you listening. For those whom they are a big motivator, they're a huge motivator, and those are usually your top performers. And certainly we believe in taking care of special care of your top performers. Um, but for everyone else, we've said repeatedly that your relationship with them ought to drive your managerial activity. So if they don't want a promotion, talk to them about what they do want. Get to know them. And look, most unions will cave if you fight very hard to keep your one-on-ones, even against a bitter shop steward who acts as if you can't take that half hour. One of the things I did in Indianapolis a few years ago at a union plant was towed up all the hours in a month that the union got to take the folks on the line away from the line for all kinds of stuff and asked why the com company couldn't have a measly half hour a week and the shop steward caved. A specific thing you can do, ask your directs what they want from you as their manager. 
some things can be non-negotiable, like with reason feedback. And yeah, you, you may have to go talk to the steward, okay? But maybe they want more technical training. When they tell you what they want, ask them to go to their steward directly and get union buy-in first. Don't you go tell the foreman that your dude wants something and then have the foreman say no because they love being telling stories about how that manager came over, but I told his ass no, okay? Because it, it's not in the contract, and so they'll tell you no. But stuff that their union members bring up to them is treated so much differently that we as man, than what we as managers bring up. Uh, and, yes, there will be casts about, about unions, and, and I'm constrained on dying, but I could talk for hours about it. Okay, Aaron's second question about overqualification. Dude, massive preparation and total equanimity, which is pretty much what we always say about interviewing, right? Here's what I would think about in today's market based on your situation, and then I would try to turn these comments into verbalizations you can deliver well. Number one, if somebody mentioned it, first, first of all, if nobody mentions it, it's not a problem, okay? If you go through that interview thinking it's a problem, you're the one creating the problem if they don't mention it. If you decide after the fact that they said no to you because you're overqualified, you're making that crap up in your head. Okay? Now, if they bring it up, there's some things you can say. Number one, obviously a market like today, a lot of folks doing this, right? And, then, and you've responded to their comment, but you've not taken a position. And let's see whether or not they want to double down on their bet and absolutely say what they ought not to say, which is the overqualified. Dumb. It's dumb. There's no, there's no definitive data to suggest that overqualified people are less effective. It's a joke. It's just, well, you're old is what they're saying, and that's illegal, at least to discriminate on that basis. It's something else you could say is the only reason I would think overqualified is a problem for you is if the hired person behaves as if they are overqualified. And, you know, frankly, I've been around the block, and I've got less ego and more professionalism than that. Uh, and the third thing I would say is I'm a professional. I have experience with difficult challenges, and I've shown an ability to keep my head on straight and a smile on my face when they happen. And that's what I'll do for you. I've got the right kind of attitude. And, and what, how would overqualified be bad? Make them actually tell you why it's bad. And one more thing about this, Aaron. I get the sense that today a lot of folks in your situation, if, that's, if this is your situation, do one of two searches. Either they decide to stay at the level they used to be at or they decide to lower their sights. One of the two. And I disagree with that. I think you should do both. And I should apply for jobs that you believe you're right for and also consider something less and see what happens. You never know. Uh, it, it is a great question. There's too bad there's age discrimination because there is, but we can only address the things we can influence. Stupid interviewers are not to be influenced by great interviewees. You just can't do it. Okay, question 10, Isaac. Uh, as for the background in this particular question, I believe this person's boss is the CFO of the company. And look, at your level, if you report to the CFO, you have an executive responsibility to ensure the ethical longevity of your firm, and that means communicating privately to your boss's boss. As painful as that may be and as risky as that is, you believe there's greater risk. I, I believe, I would advise you, you, there is greater risk for you, or actually for the firm, and therefore to you as an executive, you are the firm after a fashion, in not doing anything because you believe your boss is, is not meeting his professional responsibilities. And I think communicating privately to your boss's boss, I think that's the CEO in this case. It, it is hard for me to tell you exactly how, because at that level, it's all about relationships. If you need a phone conversation with me, I can arrange that. The usual way this is done is for you to find a senior sponsor, in your case, it would be a peer of your bosses, with whom, and I'm going to give you four criteria. A, you have a good relationship. B, uh, uh, he, he or she knows that your boss is underperforming. C, 
does not have a great relationship with your boss, in other words, not so good that he would then go run and tell your boss, you got a guy working for you throwing you under the bus, and D, can communicate with the CEO without being seen as throwing your boss under the bus. If you can't find all those factors, put primary the relationship with the CEO, then the relationship with you, and last is relative neutrality, okay? Now, look, this can't just be you passing your ideas on to the CEO through an intermediary, Okay, and that said, I, I don't know your reputation, but there is a 30 in the firm, there's a 36% chance that you will be seen as partially selfish. But, but you're making a choice between partially selfish and watching the firm not do well because you believe your boss is not performing. Um, but if you believe this is necessary, getting your, your plans that your boss has turned away, um, then this is a risk worth taking. Usually, believe it or not, guys, these situations, a boss at that level not doing his or her job, is, are in fact known to the CEO, but there are various factors working against his or her getting rid of the person. Um, so I would consider that and don't be surprised if the CEO, someone says the CEO actually knows this, in which case you have to ask yourself, how, how well will I do if the CEO knows and he's not doing in the year? But again, if you need to talk to me, set it up. Number 11, Linda. Um, I assume you mean a manager of a sales team asking for his or her directs to review their new prospects and efforts on turning prospects into revenue generation. If you don't know what that is, guys, that's a sales pipeline meeting, okay? And I do have ideas for you, Linda. Uh, no podcast yet, but this is a rough outline. I haven't put it to paper yet. First of all, you've got to work in advance. I used to have mine on Tuesday morning, and I had a deadline of Sunday night for all the data to be in. And guys, don't give me crap about having people work on weekends either. My second best guy on the team was almost always done by Friday midnight. I wouldn't even care if I was getting stuff five days old as long as it was accurate. Just because the deadline is over the weekend doesn't mean you have to do your work over the weekend. I don't know why people don't get that. Number two, standardize the format. Re require the use of your company's sales software if you, in fact, use any. No exceptions. I don't care how good or how bad somebody is. If their software, make everybody use it or die. And by the way, this makes it so much easier for you to create stuff for your boss, even if you want something special because you have standard form. Okay? If you don't have software, it doesn't really matter. If you have it, you have to use it. But if, it, if you don't have it, don't go get it. Just come up with your own form in Word or Excel and say, dude, you're going to put it in my form or we're not doing this. And give them negative feedback if they don't do it. Somewhere in there should be, in, in terms of the way, the, the, the way you're going to agree on vocabulary, you agree on the stages of deals. In other words, um, initial conversations, um, discussing uh, details, working out logistics, whatever, whatever thing you want. Okay? The one thing that's not in there is a fantasy candidate, someone you really want to talk to who's a great, you know, potentially a great client. That's not a reportable action. A sales pipeline, to be in the pipeline, to be in the funnel, there has to be a connection, not just a friend, there has to be a connection in which you're talking about selling something to that firm, okay? Uh, there has to be some rep, some behavior between representative and a prospect for them, for, for that company, that client, that that. Uh, potential uh, client to be in the meeting. This is not fantasy land. Number three, you've got to have deliverables tracked and, and, and reported out. You've got to have responsible parties that the deliverables are assigned to. You've got to have deadlines, and you've got to follow up each week. The problem with sales pipelines is everybody goes, blah, 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 and nothing's done. What you have to do is in your one-on-one, -on -one, you have to say, okay, you said this guy was going to do this this week. What did he do? What did you do on that? We're, we're, how are you moving your sales pipeline forward? That's your job as a sales manager. Um, 
Number four, I've already alluded to this, characterize the opportunities. Whether you want to use hot, warm, cold, red, amber, green, percentage likelihood, whether something's vague or clear or crystal, whatever you do, there must be discrimination about what a what stage a client is in in the funnel based on the likelihood of getting business in order to help you with resource allocation. And when people start overstating it, call them on it privately. Uh, stick to a very tight agenda. Right? She's right. People hate sales pipelines meetings. Well, not that's only because they hate meetings that are poorly run. Have a tight agenda, make people stick to it, and and you'll find that people won't mind it very much. One at a time. Every number six. One at a time. Everybody talks. I, I generally like best guy going first. Um, some people do randomize the order. I, I like that idea in principle. I've never tried it. Each each uh, salesperson presents what they have within a time limit. And number seven, make decisions, assign actions, and then track them. I know that was fast. I'm sorry. Number 12, Jason. Okay. I think we have a miscommunication here, and we blew it. Okay. Our original feedback guidance, guys, has changed. We re-recorded it recently, and we're going to put it on the site so we don't get these questions anymore. And the guidance you heard, we said, use the, in the fourth question, fourth step in the question, what could you do differently? We, we recommend you use that formulation, which requires your directs to come up with a new behavior immediately, right? And we tried that for a while, and we discovered that a lot of managers didn't give feedback because their directs didn't have a good answer, and the 30-second at most feedback conversation turned into a five-minute conversation that managers hated. The fact that we still needed to give feedback didn't mean that we actually did it because we didn't like it. Uh, We don't teach things that are accurate and and believable and work, but but that no one will do, okay? We've changed our guidance. Now step four says, can you do that differently until you've established the model in the minds of your directs? In other words, rather than asking for a solution on the spot, we just recommend you get a commitment to new behavior, to better behavior right away. This will likely completely eliminate this problem, as I think I understand of specific examples of observation. What worries me about your question, Jason, is specific examples of observations Observations to me means things they actually did, and I don't know why I would need observations, plural, because I only need one in order to give you negative feedback, and I wouldn't actually give you an example. I'd actually say what you did. In other words, when you're late to a meeting, I worry about you. That's not an example of an observation. That's a statement of fact. You were late to the meeting. I'm assuming, I can only assume, I can't, I, I, I don't want to assume that you're talking about examples in step two. If you're talking about examples in step four, eliminate the problem by going to, can you change that? Okay. Uh, For those of you who still like the phrasing, what can you do differently? I don't necessarily think you need to have something at the ready for them. If they can't come up with something, just ask them to think about it. Say, will you think about it? Okay. Uh, um, We want to try, in most cases, to not suggest options. That runs the risk of pushback about, well, your, your idea won't work. Now we're arguing about the future rather than encouraging them. Okay? So I wouldn't, you know, if they try two or three times and they get it wrong, say, well, here's something I've tried that might work. But we're trying to get them to just change their behavior and to learn what works and what doesn't work rather than just implementing what we suggest. Number 13, Ryan. Good question, Ryan. Four things you can do. First, communicate about the change or changes. Actually, I'm sorry. There's really five things. Don't be afraid to talk about the changes. Admit it's out of your control and that we, quote, have to be the best we can with what we have right now, to quote the Marines. 
I'm not a big fan of letting people vent about how stupid senior edicts are. I'm amazed that managers do that. I need to let my people vent. No, you don't. They're venting in other places. Managers talk about letting their people vent. It's like in a meeting? No. In this meeting, I don't see venting on the agenda. It always seems that the same people vent, which are the perfectionists and the people with bad attitudes. No offense. Those are not going to be my people who are going to make a real difference in this change effort. Uh, I, I don't have any desire to let those people vent. Uh, you know, I, I can be sweet when they do it, but I'll follow up with feedback if they do it in my meeting. When you get something new about the change, let everybody know immediately. Don't sit on it and wait. How am I going to communicate this? Send out the email that you get from your boss and say, look, guys, warning order. When you read this mail, it will totally throw you. Trust me, I'm working on it. Here's what this means for us. We have a podcast about that. Don't ever just forward an email blind or naked down to your team. Take a bit of time. Figure out a plan. Ask for input when it makes sense. Don't ask for input when you don't think it makes sense. Make some decisions and issue some new guidance. Okay? Um, when people complain privately to you, say thanks and encourage them to deliver. That's what you want. Second thing, you've got to continue to communicate in the normal ways. Whatever you do, don't let workload affect one-on-ones or staff meetings or how you run project meetings or stand-ups or water cooler or regular lunches. Do all that stuff, too. So summing up numbers one and two, over-communicate, over-communicate, over-communicate. Okay, number three. Let some older, make some decisions, communicate to everyone that there will be some older stuff that's not critical right now to the change. Let it fall to the floor. Relook everything. I promise you there's stuff that isn't worth doing because, frankly, some of your folks are already not doing it and nobody's in trouble, but everybody worries, oh, this is not getting done. Stop worrying. What needs to get done is the change. Um, The fourth point I want to make is circle of influence, circle of concern, which I'll never do as well as our friend Michael Swinson um, and Stephen Covey, but the circle of influence is is a small circle around you, and the circle of concern is a larger concentric circle outside of that one. You can change the things in your circle of influence. The harder you work to expand your circle of influence, the smaller your circle of concern will get. The more you worry about your circle of concern, the smaller your circle of influence will be. You can't do anything about the things in circle of concern. I tell people people all the time, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Don't worry. Don't worry about the things in your circle of concern. Don't worry about what your boss is going to do or not do next week. There's not a damn thing you can do about that. Worry about the stuff you can make a difference on, the circle of influence. And then the last thing, be the, be the way, set an example, number five, set an example for who you, how you want your people to behave. Show up early with a smile on your face. Bring coffee to the people. Walk around, pat people on the back, and say, I know this is hard. When people come to you and they're frustrated, say, I understand, and, and I, I feel the same way. Use the feel felt found with people. There's a podcast for that. Be assertive. Smile. Stay late if you have to. Send an example that we can still keep our ties knotted. We don't have to lay around and whine all the time. Okay? Um, uh, be polite to people. Be professional. Don't raise your voice. Set the example that I'm a leader and we can get through this change. And people will respond just the fact that you act as if we're going to get through this. Tell people, we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. Okay. Number 14, Krista. This is a good question but a tough one. It's tough because we're talking about your mental state and I don't know you well enough. I don't think I do. Uh, I got this question a lot over the years from folks who thought I was good at this, even though I always knew I was just one of the climbers uh, that you mentioned in your, in your question. How I keep myself in check is remembering that my goals are mine and what the organization gives me is the organization's decision. This is a huge part of executive life. My mom used to say to me I, I, and my brothers, I'm not going to give you money for your A's in school. 
like all the other parents did with my, my buddies, because the A is the reward. My parents taught me, you do the work, and then you trust the outcome. You don't tie your self-worth up in the outcome, let alone someone else's definition of what the outcome should be. Decide what outcome you want, and maybe that's peace and self-satisfaction about doing good work, and just do that, okay? And, and look, if the outcomes aren't acceptable based on the work you're doing, find a different place or develop an acceptance about what you're getting or admit you've been wrong. Um, I think too many people think, I'm going to do good work, and then I'm going to get a good outcome. Well, when you start getting bad outcomes because shit happens, suddenly it's like, oh, I'm not doing good work. Oh, I'm in a problem. I get an issue. No. Don't allow your self-worth to be affected by outcomes that are outside of your control because the outcomes that you get are outside of your control, folks. I promise you they are. You're going to be perfect, and you're going to lose everything. It happens. And look, it sounds to me, based on the question, you have some equanimity, and well done. Trust me, folks, the ladder climbers that you see around you when you're trying to maintain your, your balance, those ladder climbers are wishing that they had the peace of mind it appears that you had. I just had this conversation recently with somebody close to me, part of, that part of professional maturity is both wanting to be somewhere better, higher place, more authority, more influence, more responsibility, and yet still being at peace with where you are right now. Most people assume the wanting of more, the need or the want or the desire to deliver more, to grow more, to influence more, requires them by definition to be uncomfortable with where they are. But that's a false dichotomy. Someday we're going to publish the cast that I call the three pillars. That's what I call this challenge. The ladder climbers think that they have to be uncomfortable in order to jump to the next pillar. You don't have to be. You can be happy where you are and also want to be in a better place. It's both, and it's a mental state of mind choice. And the people who are ladder climbers envy your composure and your self-possession. Okay? I've often felt that folks missed that great decisions are not just choices and actions, but also acceptance of the outcomes. If you believe you're doing right, give thanks you're free, and wait to see what the world and your organization does with your choices, and rejoice in your rightness. If you don't feel right, uh, if you don't feel that, you're likely to not prosecute your decisions and your actions well enough to get the outcomes that are good. Kelly. Office politics versus hard work. Look, guys, this uh, somebody said something about watching something on TV. Um, whatever you hear on the news about business is complete and utter crap uttered by people who are stupid about the world of real work in the real world and gathered by people, the statistics, are gathered by people who work in very small little corners and haven't a clue about customers other than data sets and small sample sizes. Don't believe what you – the reason it's on the news is because they think they can sell advertising around it, which means it has to get people angry or sad or something. That's dumb. Uh, now, look, I don't think your question is terribly fair, but it's a good one. Um, whoever you are, thank you. Uh, it's not fair – not that I really give a hoot about fairness – because it suggests two definitions for fairness, even though I think you and I agree. Um, and it asks for gross generalizations about two concepts that are not opposites hard work, oh, there's something that's clear, and office politics, which no one likes, but that's only because it's a pejorative term that everyone's lost what their origins of it are. Look, we stand by our guidance. We think you agree with it, frankly. Relationships matter a lot, way more than almost everyone I know realizes. And some people think that relationships with others in the office, making friends, showing respect, Staying in touch with people, doing favors, they think that's office politics, but it's not. 
it is not outdated today to create relationships beyond Facebook friending people. It's not outdated to create relationships up and down and sideways. Up is okay. We don't want you brown-nosing everybody, but up is okay. Up relationships. People are what organizations are made of. Getting to know someone and being nice and doing favors and expecting favors in return is not office politics. Now, office politics might be stabbing somebody in the back, but that, we don't recommend that. It's not bad to make friends. It's not bad to know that those friendships will give you a greater share of rewards than somebody who doesn't have relationships if their hard work is equal to you, which it never is. There's no way to, to, to make things equal in that situation. That's not playing in office politics. That's being kind and caring for other people. Remember what we said many, many times. When you look up at the executives in your firm, what most people call politics, those executives are calling collaboration. And again, don't believe what you're listening to the news about work, the world of work. The people who, who did the research don't know about the world of work, and the people who are uttering it don't know it either. Okay, number 16, William. Bob, Wendy, how am I doing on time? Eight minutes? Eight minutes okay. behind. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay, I'm fine. I've got a couple of no-brainers in here. Um, number 16, William. I, I'm not sure who's asking this question and actually who had the discussion. I don't. The form of this question implies that you weren't involved in this, but I'm glad you asked it. We should have put out our guidance on this. Folks, you don't need a dress code. Dress codes are a total freaking joke. You need managers and executives and directs who can think and make decisions about what professional workplace attire is. And they also don't want to give up their chance to be an individual. And then you need managers who are willing to decide and communicate and run the, run the risk of getting in trouble or pushback from someone who disagrees with the manager. So whatever you do, dear God, don't put a dress code in place unless it's this. Dress will be professional. Individual managers will make the decision for their workplaces and areas. Different managers will make different choices. Managers who make poor choices, as evidenced by their personnel's attire, will be asked to change their guidance. Employees who dress in unprofessional ways will be asked to change for tomorrow, unless egregious, and then they'll be sent home. Generally, visible skin is antithetical to professionalism. Dress like you believe the leaders of this firm would be proud to have you meeting a customer. And my last point on this one, the whole meeting with the lead female manager thing that came up, that is a complete gender slur on the male manager. And interestingly enough, it's beneath feedback, but it's slightly above contempt. But if I'm in a bad mood, it's contemptuous. The idea that a woman says, oh, I need to meet with another woman, yeah, that's gender bias, and she ought to get, she ought to get slapped by HR for that comment. But nobody will believe me, even though it's true. Number 17. Oh, this is a great question, David. Oh, I wish somebody had asked me this 20 years ago. Okay, I would ask you to define reasonable, but I'll do that for you. Here are the answers. 100, 500, and 1,000. Facebook friend numbers do not count. That's a joke. No, what I mean is Facebook friends are a joke, <laughs> but you can't count them in the 100, 500, and 1,000. Um, I've always had a ton more than those numbers, and my life has been made so much easier than everyone else's I know because of it. I will tell you that my numbers at those time in my life were 500, 2,500, and 7,500. And folks, don't tell me you can't do that. It's not hard. It's just Control-Shift-K. Just meet somebody, reach out to them, stay in touch. Make it, you know, put it in your computer and then actually send a mail or call them on the phone. Great. Great question. And, and look, guys, I'm not saying that you have to have 100, but if you're not within striking distance of 100 and you're just graduating from college, you don't have enough. If you're, if you don't have, if you're not within striking distance of 500 as, a, as somebody in their late 20s becoming a manager, um, then you don't have enough. And if you're a manager, you don't have 1,000, you're insane. Okay. 
Uh, number 18, I could save some time here. Whoever wrote this question, you're not just wasting my time, you're wasting the time of 500 people. Really nice. Number 19, um, how do I get traction to get results? By the way, this is from the same guy. It's a, this is a tough question because you're not going to like my answer, not because you answered the, you asked the previous question. It's too hard to say exactly what you should do without knowing more, but I do have a couple of suggestions here. I'm a little, I'm a little worried about the tone about you talking about you're going to their bosses. Um, and uh, yeah, let's see, I, other people get directed. Um, my first thing is, are you doing project one-on-ones? That would be my first thing. And, and it relates to the second point, which is you've got to work on your relationships. Um, when you say you talk to other man, you, you, your manager talks to other managers to direct people, that's a real ouch. And then you repeat that you elevate stuff. Uh, elevation, I, I assume you mean escalate and, and reasonable word choice there. I, I, uh, escalation is really bad. I, I will tell you this, though. I totally respect that you chose to do it yourself. I know that's hard when other people don't do what they're supposed to do. And all I would say is don't throw them under the bus to your boss um, uh, just because that will just increase the chances that they'll make you do it yourself. And I know it's hard. I do. Um, when you do ask folks to start on project uh, one-on-ones, m- maybe start with them going first. And when you get to your part, always ask first what they need from you rather than just listing all the stuff you want from them that they didn't talk about during their part. Uh, question 20, Jeremy. Uh, happily employed job search. I can't help but think that this question implies that job searches are normally underdone under duress, either leaving a bad situation or getting fired or laid off or something. Guys, that's just not true. Guys, this is how all executives search. All executives search. It's called being open to opportunities, which we call OTO. You don't ever do an active search as an executive, but you are OTO. And guys, if you're a manager, start this now. You don't have to search. You have to be open to opportunities. And, and frankly, most of you, when you think about it, getting away from the, the logistics and the process and the step-by-step of search, all of you are open to opportunities, okay? So number one, get your resume right. It ought to be right, but it isn't, I bet. Get that right, and then keep it that way with a quarterly review. That's the first part. Number two, start warming up your network, and then keep it warm for the rest of your life. Reach out. Reach out to them on a regular basis, not because you're looking, but because it needs to be warm if you ever want to ask for things. Um, and number three, see what happens. Remember, you're not looking, but any modern professional is always open to opportunities. And, and just pay attention to what it is. Other, if you talk to somebody at a company that's, and they sound like they're doing interesting work that would appeal to you, say, tell me more. And then you say to them, gosh, that sounds great. And if they don't figure out that hint, the next time they have lunch, they say, God, it's so much fun over there. That sounds like a place I'd love to work. And hopefully they'll take the hint. And if it gets bad and you realize now it's time to actually do a search, a real step-by-step search, you can say to them, you know, I've said a couple times to you over the last year, you'd be a great place to, great place to work at. Can we talk about that? That's much different than calling them in the cold. And, and, and Jeremy, I've got to tell you, great question. Okay? You should, everyone here, maybe you're not conducting a step-by-step search, but everyone here ought to be open to opportunities. The market is going to warm up in the next couple of years. Let's hope sooner rather than later. If you're not open to opportunities, you're going to miss them when they happen over coffee. 
Okay, question 21, Irving. For those of you who don't know, the Pomodoro technique is a way of managing one's work in 25-minute increments. This is a darn good question. Pointing out, uh, Thank you for pointing out that he's good on the team and smart and so on. My experience is that Pomodoro is good, but for a high eye, a squirrel hunter, they can't wait 25 minutes. I don't think 25 minutes is, 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 too, is short enough. I try 15-minute bits or even 10-minute bits. Hell, David Allen even talks about two-minute bits, sort of. Um, but I'm not going to follow my sword about the 25-minute thing beyond telling you if he's not doing well enough at 25 minutes, let's not tell ourselves it's working. Shorten the time limit. Then I'd say the metrics on this is easy. Whatever his work is in shorter increments is what you measure, weekly, daily, or even hourly. Every day report, hey, how many of X did you get done? Where are you on Y? You said you'd be here. Why aren't you here? The only thing to measure here is work. Okay. And by the way, thanks for saying you're giving feedback and one-on-ones and so on. Um, d- don't worry about interruptions. If you can see them and you can give feedback, fine. If he claims them, tell him, look, I understand, and I don't care how many uh, interruptions you get. I'm measuring output. I don't care what takes you away from work. You have to manage those or you won't achieve what you're supposed to, period. If you claim you have a million interruptions and you don't get any work done, you'll get the exact same feedback whether you had no interruptions or a billion. You didn't get the work done, and that's what I'm measuring. And, and measure the number of work items he completed. Tell me what he does, and I can be more specific. Shorter, 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 shorter. Okay? Um, I'm glad he's a good guy, and I want you to keep him. But if he doesn't perform, I'd get rid of him after a long time trying to help him. Number 22, Juan. I don't really understand how an absence can be unapproved, Juan. I'm going to assume now that you're in trouble. I don't know whether you're a manager or not. It's a delicate situation. I really don't have enough information to give you a reasonably solid recommendation. Um, did you stay in touch while you were out? Did you get work done? What role are you in? To whom do you report? What kind of relationship do you have there with your boss and others? If you're an individual contributor, I'd go back in, I'd apologize, and I'd have a general plan for getting quickly back up to speed. I don't know whether your work has backlogs or not, but I'd be working out a solution to yours if it included backlog. Extra hours would likely be in the plan because you've inconvenienced the firm based on the little information that I have. If you come back and say, I can't give you any more hours, um, and yet I can take hours when I want to, I, to me, if you told me that, look, I'm going to take un, unauthorized absences, but I'm not going to give you any more hours, that would do immediate and irredeemable damage to our relationship if you were a direct of mine. Um, apologize, work to win back the withdrawal from your emotional and professional bank account reputations. Okay. Henry, um, Henry, don't bother doing monthly one-on-ones. The impact of doing monthly one-on-ones will be your directs laughing at you. The only thing that scored worse for developing relationships than doing nothing at all when we tested various efforts is one-on-ones monthly. The idea that you could create a relationship with your directs in a half an hour or even an incredibly generous hour once a month is insulting to your directs. You can meet with them, but you can't call it a one-on-one because the purpose of a one-on-one is to improve relationships, and you can't improve relationships in a half an hour or an hour once a month. Uh, If you can't achieve the purpose of a meeting, there's no sense even having the meeting. Okay? It seems funny to me that people in the White House, CEOs, ambassadors, all kinds of senior executives, billion-dollar budgets, have time for one-on-ones, but you don't. We will simply have to agree to disagree about your ability to have weekly one-on-ones. Um, you're probably like me, Henry. You're just really inefficient. Garrett, um, what steps should be taken to recruit an internal candidate? I, I think what you're asking is how do you get people to apply and what PR do you do afterwards? I'm not sure, but I think those are the wrong questions to ask. The ideal way to get people to apply 
is to have somebody already in mind because your network is strong and you know who's best for the job. That's how I would do it. In this case, everyone else I'd have interview or folks I believe the organization would think were qualified, and I would be giving them a look to be sure, and I would have my top person know she has to work for it, and to get the rest of my bench some practice in interviewing. Look, I know this sounds far-fetched to some of you, but I had Danny, who's on the call now, on my bench for eight years before I hired her, and she knew it. I told Wendy I was going to hire her long before I did. We're interviewing somebody now. He knows he's been on my bench for a while. If I didn't have a bench, I'd go talk to managers everywhere and find out who might be good for the role. The bad managers are going to try to hold on to their people. The good will let some go. Here's what you do. You ask other managers, who's good on other teams? That's a classic move. Managers won't give you their good people, but they'll, they're willing to say, oh, yeah, you need to go after Ron over there. He's awesome. And this is not a pre-wire. Pre-wire is getting the decision you want. It's not, this is not a pre-wire. I don't know how you can recruit someone you don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, I'm not a big fan of internal PR. Okay, I'm not. Why don't you just get results and do what good managers do to help the rest of the organization and see how good their people are? Uh, highlight this person's results. Help them get results. Help them build their network by sharing yours. That's how you do it. Um, now, Wendy is reminding me at this point that I need to talk about the offer. We promised you guys an offer. Um, I never know the details of these things, so I'm just going to stop answering questions for just a moment and say the offer we would like to put in front of you for both licensees and non-licensees, and Wendy, if I say something wrong, just interrupt, um, is we would like to offer, for those of you who are licensees, if you want to renew now, you can renew for 100 bucks rather than $165. Um, when you renew, we'll just add that year to the end of when your, your license would run out. Uh, normally, a license, annual license is $165. If you're a non-licensee, we're offering you the same deal. You can become a licensee right now for $100. And, Wendy, how do they do that? When they go to the website and they uh, select from, on the product page uh, annual license, and they can have either manager tools or career tools, whichever you prefer, there is a coupon code. So you enter in the coupon code box. I hope everyone's got a pen now. 9C for Charlie, 0, E Echo, 8, E Echo, B Bravo, E Echo, B Bravo, 8. And we will send that coupon code out in an email after the call to you because it's yes. quite hard. And we didn't tell you to have a pen. So. Can't you see why I like her, everybody? Okay. Uh, Tim's question, number 25. Great question, Tim. Glad your firm allows this. Why this is so rare is beyond me. Number one, first thing, get over it. Count yourself lucky. Um, if you want help in this process, I want you to write me an email because I love it when this happens to people. Not that it's great that you got demoted, but that somebody kept you. That's so smart. Number two, dude, easy, deliver results, 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 results. Number three, don't ever say anything negative about having been a manager before. Number four, share with other people a pro-management viewpoint to show that you're not bitter because they're going to be looking for any chance to prove the former manager that got demoted and embarrassed is bitter. Number five, deliver results. <laughs> My six, number six, by all means, Tim, a comeback is possible. Though it really is firm and boss dependent. Learn, learned your lessons is a great storyline for that. If you show me great results and you show me you had learned, I'd give you a shot. Okay. 
what is that line from Top Gun? I'll fly with you. Number 26, um, B. Um, great question. No, it isn't a problem to have lack of accomplishments on your resume because your firm didn't get any business. Very few have, people have great accomplishments for the last couple of years. We should have said this before in our resume update. I think I don't think we've actually done a Career Tools resume update for 2012. If we haven't, we will include this. We know that you will have less strong um, uh, bullets. It's understandable. It's what happens during a down market. Um, the last bullet, the, the bullet you mentioned, is a little weak, but if you told me you delivered them on time or without error or that sales folks requested you to do um, the estimates, that'd be good. Uh, and, and, dude, if this is the only problem that your resume has, that some of the accomplishments lately are not strong, you're fine. Okay? All right. Uh, third question, communicating by, uh, communicating by bicycle. Dude, not a problem at all. There's no special guidance. Don't ask for special permissions. Okay? Beyond time, don't ever blame lateness on your commute or on your bike, even if it's pouring rain outside. And well done. <laughs> I like it. Um, and I love the fact that you're not getting grungy at work, not acting like I can be grungy at work because this is my chosen form of commute. I love the fact that you wear a dress slacks, a shirt, and a tie. Well done. Be careful, though. Okay. Uh, number 28, VJ. Uh, I think there's a dichotomy here that's not fair, VJ. The sharing your fears is a completely different thing than being conscious of your interactions with senior management. If you're sharing your fears, stop that crap right now. Oh, my God. I would probably want to wash my hands after talking to a junior person who shares their fears with me. Moon, Mark, I'm worried about this same thing. Oh, please, get away from me. Oh. Are you kidding me? Total disaster. We are high Ds at this level, my friend. You scare us with your weakness. People who talk about their fears are weak. Okay? To us, you may like this or not. We don't care. To us, that's not candor. That's weakness. Okay? You come across as a strong performer by, A, delivering strong results and talking to executives in their language because if you don't talk in their language, they won't think you're like them and they think of themselves as top performers. So you must talk to them in their language, which is likely high D and not what I think is your case, high C. And if you don't want to know what I mean, listen to the discast and send me a more detailed email. Margaret's question great second-level or mid-level manager. Nobody ever asked me this question, Margaret, but, but it's not because they all know the answer to this. I, I Honestly, I know people are going to hate me for saying this. I don't see much difference, honestly. My job as a boss of managers is to make them effective. The only difference as I see it is I have to ask about their people. Now, now, when I say my job is to make them effective, what I mean is they're managers. So I'm asking myself, what do I have to do to make a manager effective? Obviously, it's, it's different managing a manager in the sense that he or she does different things than an individual contributor, but I don't see that being a manager of that. The thing that will make me good as an individual contributor's manager are the same things that will make me good as a manager's manager. What kind of relationship do I have? Do I talk about performance? Do I give them feedback? I would give them feedback on whether or not they know their people. I would give them feedback on whether or not they're talking about performance on a regular basis. I would give them feedback on their reporting, whether or not it's clear, because reporting is about helping me make the decisions about the future, and bad reporting leads to bad decisions. Okay? I would, talk, I, I would, I would give them feedback, positive and negative, on developing their people. I would give feedback on growing the, the strength of the organization by delegation and so on. Um, I would get to know them. I give them feedback. I develop. I delegate. Um, their performance is the aggregation of their people, uh, and but it's still what they're responsible for. I might be teaching them more about planning and higher level stuff, but right now their job is to deliver results for um, 
from their team. The concepts are the same, the details are different, maybe the timelines are different, but it's still just managing. Um, I, I, I don't know why. If you have a different concept of what managing is to be effective, then maybe you would answer that question differently. I don't know. Number 30, winning over the hearts and minds. Um, I, you know, uh, it sounds normal, um, but I really don't think there's anything special to do here other than to use the Trinity. And just to be clear, this is a small thing. Some of you won't like me for saying this. I'm not a big fan of winning over hearts and minds. And what I mean by that is I don't try to win over hearts and minds. I, I've never not done that that I know of. You can ask Wendy or Danny or any of the other people that work, work with us. But it's not, it's not about winning their hearts and minds. It's about doing your job well. If, it's so easy to be a good manager compared to everybody else in the world. If you are a professional and you invest in a relationship and you treat performance as something that's to be valued and you praise or give positive feedback for good performance and you're willing to call out negative, uh, poor performance with negative feedback delivered gracefully and kindly, you'll win their hearts and minds just by being a hell of a nice person. So develop relationships with your one-on-ones. You, you can't change things overnight. You can make small changes like, hey, we're going to do this a new way here now. Here's what we're going to do going forward. But generally, those things better be small. I would probably make the only changes I made to be we're going to start doing one-on-ones and we're going to start doing staff meetings in a particular way. Just that, often to people who are used to the status quo, is going to be, oh, we don't know if we agree with that. Really? You want to argue with your boss about the structure of his or her staff meeting? Really? Come on, dude. Okay. When they make mistakes now, they'll know you think it's a mistake, even if they defend it as the way they used to do it or the way they do it now. Tell them it didn't work well. Let it go. Don't give them feedback yet until you get a chance to give them feedback until the the Trinity rollout happens. 90 days isn't too long to wait. Some people will begin to like you and will start doing the things that you want them to do just because they like you. Okay? You'll learn that some stuff that you thought was important wasn't, and the danger of doing big things in the first 90 days is you'll pick the wrong things to do. You'll also discover who you can trust and who you can't. After 90 days, you can start making changes. And I'd probably have a list, and I'd ask for input about what I might change in my one-on-ones first. And then just keep rolling out the trinity. Again, I don't worry too much about hearts and minds because there are a lot of managers who have hearts and minds but not performance, and performance is what matters. Okay, so I recommend uh, family business contacts, Francois. Hi, Francois. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I thought about this for a while. I, I happen to know this person, I think, who asked the question. Um, I think. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I would apply. To be fair, keep in mind that many, many family-owned companies that make, are, exist that make their offspring earn their way. And the patriarch or matriarch expects everyone to be total professionals, and their fam- professionals first and family second. I'm guessing that's not the case with yours. I think special guidance here is around the heightened political sensitivity around family members, the need to do more pre-wires, be ready to lose more battles, ready to work harder on relationships with everyone in the family. I, I, when I was at Proctor for about six months at the end, I had a map of who was friends with who of the people around me. So that I knew if I was talking to A and he was friends with E and F, I knew that E and F would be affected by that. And I knew if A was enemies of B, I knew that maybe in this particular case, B would be my enemy. And I kept track of that. Uh, And in families, that tends to be true. There are alliances, stronger familial blood alliances that you have to keep in mind. Um, And and look, there's going to be times when doing the right thing is going to get sacrificed for what becomes the family thing. Um, 
but that's not unheard of in any situation. And I would just say stay frosty, my friend, and it takes a little more equanimity in that situation, particularly when it's not your family name that we're talking about. Okay, number 32, Keith. Um, you're very kind, Keith, but the simple answer is deliver results and let people come ask you questions about what the hell it is you're doing over there. That, that's the best way to do it. We have never put out a cast about how to get your organization to use manager tools because that just seems wrong to us somehow. Um, even though we might make a case for it, it's just wrong. But, but anyway, the best way to do this is to do your work to get good results and have people come ask you questions. We call that organic way number one. Organic way number two is if you're a manager, you do this, and then you roll down the trinity to your directs. And once you've done one-on-ones and feedback and gone through positive and negative feedback, then say to them, okay, now it's time for you guys to start doing one-on-ones. And, yes, you can mandate that your directs do one-on-ones. That's organic number two. Corporate number one is to have the CEO or some other most senior person support some sort of rollout. That's not bad. It's not great because you actually have to convince them to do it. Um, and it's just not, not easy to do. Um, and I don't know, if I was CEO and you said, I really think this new manager tool thing's awesome, I'd be like, yeah, so? So um, the kid down the street wants me to wash his car for him, but I'm not going to wash his car for him. Um, I, I don't know you, and if you're five levels down from me, I probably won't listen to you. I know that makes me a bad person, but that's what I know about CEOs. Corporate number two is having HR get on board, have training, say, wow, this manager stuff, tool stuff is really training. We could, you know. Yeah, we could we could do something internally. Uh, that's the least best way. Um, if I had to rate the value long term of those four choices, I'd say ten, eight, four, and two on a ten scale. Um, now, now, look, the, the other thing. I mean, you, you don't have to have us come train. You, you can just do this organically, or you can have your organization buy licenses. But it really doesn't make a lot of sense for an organization to buy a bunch of licenses that managers aren't, that there's going to be no effort made to have them listen and encourage some sort of change effort. We love selling licenses. It's a huge part of our business. It's growing. It's, it's a way to help managers. But if a manager's never heard of manager tools and HR buys a license for him, I'm not so sure that's good value. Um, but thank you. Good question, <laughs> selfishly. Uh, number 33, Nadine. Um, I, I, I tell you, I kept reading this question thinking I read it wrong. Okay, I'm tempted to have everybody read this one before I answer, but we won't have time. You have four weeks? You're too late, dude. You're so too late. All I can tell you is work on your network work. Okay? By the way, I would not – you may not mean this, but I, I read into your question, maybe inappropriately. I would not equate LinkedIn with job boards at all. To me, they are completely two different animals. I, you know, why not reach out to each of your LinkedIn connections? How come nobody ever sends me their stuff? Look, I recently got some guy who I'm connected to on LinkedIn because he's a listener, and he immediately sends me a request to donate to his charity. I'm sorry, dudes. Not cool. Okay? And by the way, we give lots of money to charity, but not cool if I've never met you. But on the other hand, nobody's ever sent me something on LinkedIn saying, Mark, you know what? I'm really an admirer of Manager Tools. I hope you like my resume. I want to email it to you. You may know somebody who's looking for something. And by the way, we met in San Jose two years ago. Well, I'll, go, I'll call Maggie and say, Maggie, who is this guy? He said, oh, yeah, you met him. He's this guy, does this. I said, oh, yeah, I remember him. I'll, I'll take a look at the resume. Why not? Okay. How come nobody ever sends me their stuff? And my point is, please don't everybody send me their stuff. But why don't we do this on LinkedIn? 
that's that that's the ultimate connection is do you you change your career by your friends and LinkedIn is a digital way to do that. The other thing I can tell you is to do a boil the ocean search. Who, look, by boil the ocean, I'm not going to define that. It takes too long. But who do you want to work for? Where do you want to do it? And then track those people down and cold call them. In four weeks, I mean, you can't do much worse than that. You've waited too long, Dean, and you've sort of become the grasshopper here. Um, wouldn't wouldn't hurt to um, to have the interviewing series, but we try not to sell our stuff. Um, Mia's question. Uh, there's not a whole lot more than to do than you're already doing, Mia, other than to keep track of stuff, okay? Um, if, if you and I are coworkers and I'm not doing my stuff, keep track of the stuff you, you send to me. Maybe send me an email or, or make a note of it. Uh, if it were me and I were in your situation, I, I'd go to them for peer one-on-ones. I'd try to build a relationship while continue to try to hold them accountable. What you're doing is reasonable. I try to avoid dropping dimes on them in meetings. In other words, in meetings, saying to your boss in front of the other person, well, Joe didn't do X. Um, now, you can do that if you tell Joe in advance, you know, six hours in advance, look, I've needed this thing for two weeks. He's going to ask. The boss is going to ask. I'm going to have to tell him, I'm waiting for it from Joe. Sorry, boss. My apologies. And then hopefully the boss turns to Joe and goes, what the hell? Right, so you got to give a guy a heads up before you drop a dime on him in a meeting. And I'd certainly offer to help. Why not, why not offer to help, dude? Do you need some help? It seems like you're behind. And yeah, maybe you end up doing more of his work. I really doubt your boss doesn't know that you're doing more of his work, that your stuff is all together and his is not. Um, but there's some situations like this. There's no way the answers. And, and, and by the way, Mia, I'd make sure that my shit didn't stink. Because if, if this person is suffering and making your team suffer, I'd make sure I had my eyes dotted and my T's crossed so that he's not throwing stones at me in a meeting back. Okay? Oh, this is the fastest I've ever answered this many questions in my life. Uh, Robert, 35. Um, ignore your boss, Robert. Ignore him. Okay? Be blissfully ignorant of his stupid jackass behaviors. But look, also, stop equating staying positive, if I understand your question correctly, with disagreeing with your boss. Disagreeing with your boss is saying you disagree to his face. It's, look, all of us disagree with our bosses. And don't, don't, don't get windy. Don't take Wendy aside and say, what do you disagree with your boss about? If she had true serum, she'd be like, oh, my God, let me tell you. When Danny, too, I'm sure. But, but when we say disagreeing with your boss, we mean saying to your boss's face, I disagree. You don't do that. Keep quiet when he talks the way he talks. Don't roll your eyes. Just put your head down and work, okay? Pretend that you're not there. Don't try to crawl into a hole. Just pretend you're not there. Suddenly become invisible man, okay? Um, and then do what you can afterwards to deliver. No one else's behavior causes you to feel anything. They do something. It happens to you, and you decide how you're going to feel all by yourself. This is the umbrella story, okay? Don't argue. Don't complain. Do your work. Encourage other people. Be, be a model. Be positive. Let other people – I'll tell you, I used to get laughed at when I was at Proctor. Well, we're going to make sales. It's going to be great. It's going to be fine. No problem. People say, oh, you're Pollyanna. You know, you're always positive. Well, beats a hell out of being negative, and my results say that something good. Why not? Okay? And just don't disagree with them. Okay? Make friends with everybody else who's good. 
Get results despite your idiot boss, and make a note of this in your Delta file about which we have a cast. And by the way, find a different boss. Start building your network now, internally, externally. Get out of there. Nobody above your boss likes you, by the way, because they don't like him. Most people don't realize that. If your boss is hated, you're probably hated too. You have to be really good to have a largely different impression of, of yourself by senior people if your boss is hated. Number 36, I have a potential interview coming up. Could I wear jeans and a dress shirt? Hell effing no. Next question. Uh, interview series the best. Um, look, follow up on an internal interview, same as we tell you in, in the interviewing series. Write a thank you note. Follow up by email. Stay in touch. Communicate. If you don't get the job, write a note, not by email, saying thanks for the opportunity. Congratulate the, the winner. Build your network that way. That's the way to do it. Okay? It's just the same exact thing. I, I don't, if you're looking for something different, I don't, I don't understand what it is. It's different. 38C. Um, I, I would say why not? I don't understand in detail the disparity in the roles you're talking about, but we have a cast about this, and you always take a shot if it's within reason. It's always take a shot for an opportunity. You may be told no, but now you'll at least know what the interview process is like, and you'll be ready for it if another opportunity comes up like this. Do your best between now and then to determine the reality of the new people managing jobs, right? Because there's risk here. I understand the risk you're talking about and your chances relative to them. Ask a senior person if you have a relationship with them what they think your chances are. And if, it, if those jobs are really likely, and if you're high on the list, maybe you don't interview for this. But I generally think more opportunities is better, even internally. Okay. Open financial books. Generally, we favor it, Charles. We practice it here. I, all of our financials are available to all of our employees. I generally believe that more people knowing more stuff is better operationally and tactically. That said, I think there are some caveats. Uh, I think they're small caveats, but they often become the death of the idea. Look, you have to hire better. If you're going to have open financial books, you have to hire better, and nobody does. If you've hired poorly and then you open your books, the unethical idiots already inside your company will do stupid things with the numbers in your books, like tell people. Okay? You have to make some decisions about where a lack of transparency is necessary. That, part of that is an optics issue, and part of it is a workload issue. First, the moment you screen some things, and of course, guys, you can't tell me you want total openness unless, of course, um, you want everybody to know everybody else's salaries, which is just dumb, okay? The fact that people are dumb about salaries doesn't change the fact that sharing them is even dumber, okay? But because you are immediately going to wall off some things, there are slight doubts. And by the way, if your senior executive, senior leadership is not uh, trusted, all the sharing in the world won't change it because they'll know that they'll find the things that you're keeping dark from them. Um, so so uh, keep in mind there are fiduciary issues as well. Some things are con contractually confidential. You can't list the, the firm that you've got some private design work going to. It, it's not as easy, to your point about other industries and companies, it's not as easy at large companies to do this just because their books are impenetrable, and it would likely take two to three people a couple of days each month after the book's closed to come up with a scrubbed version. And everybody says it's easy with SAP or with some ERP program, but guys, I've been there. It's not. It's just not. Um, 
but frankly, 99% of the people I know never look at their, pub, their company's public financials anyway. So why were we spending a whole lot of money making them internally available? Uh, there are some industries also where financials of the firm are somewhat challenging. Banking and corporate banking, for instance, the, the, the balance sheet versus the P&L are very hard to decipher. Uh, and how things are – accounting rules are fairly complex. That's why we have accountants. Product companies are generally easier to do this, and people understand them better. But look, but with some education, it would be all right in almost every company. Education is important, too. Almost nobody knows how to read books, and it would be great if a company opened their books and then taught people what to look for. Um, finally, everybody says it, but very few do it well. Failure to maintain confidentiality or misuse of any information that we share with you, intentionally or otherwise, is a firing offense, period. Open books really can be rich sources for competitive information. And do I like the idea? I love the idea. Are there issues? Yeah. And you have to be willing to fire people who give the information away after telling them, if you give it away, we're going to fire you. And I think, Wendy, I think I finished. You did, and you were three minutes ahead. Yes. And I, for those of you who, whose question were answered in the last 15 or so, I promise you, if you could see my notes, they were just shorter questions, and I think they weren't randomized, right, Wendy? They came in in an order, and we put them in in the order that they came in, right? We did, yeah. Yeah, one, one more thing i got to tell you guys. This was really – some of you probably felt like I went fast, and I apologize for that, and this was probably too many questions. And I don't know, Wendy, how many people do we have on the call? Do we know? At uh, the moment, just over 200. Okay, so just over two. We had like 700 people sign up, guys, so this call cost us, I think, six or $7,000. Um, I don't know, maybe we'll sell some licenses to make up for it. I don't know. But but this is a very unwieldy number of questions. I love the questions. I love the fact that you, some of you want to listen in. I, I love it. I'm glad to, to share this information. And um, we may have to figure out a way to ratchet it down a little bit. Um, uh, our fear was, because we were making an offer to everyone, that 700 people would actually sign up, and we would only buy lines for 500 people, and then there were people who signed up who didn't get in, and we were worried about that. So we would rather have the risk of spending more than, um, than cutting people off. But I, we, we, we haven't learned how to manage this just, just quite right yet. Wendy, do we have additional questions for me? I don't have any additional questions for you, but the licensees um, who registered through the AccuConference website have instructions on their email about how they can ask questions. So if RJ would allow that, then if you have a question that you want to ask right now and you have the email that has the instruction on how to do it, go ahead. By the way, I see that a good friend of mine is the first person in a participant list. Well done. I won't say your name since you asked a question, and but you know who you are. For those who have registered, uh, you should have received instructions. Please follow the instruction provided right now in order to ask your question. Thank you. Well, this is boring. <laughs> Well, apparently we answered every question that anybody yeah. asked. Yeah. Uh, if anybody knows my – there are a few of you who know my cell phone number, um, and if you want to text me a question, I'll answer it. I, I, I simply can't imagine you're going to let me go early. Um, and, fact, and by the way, had, guys – go ahead, Wendy. Um, 
I'm sorry, Mark. We had uh, a couple of uh, one question that got stuck in my spam filter, or at least one question from one person who asked three questions. So maybe if there aren't any questions right now, it doesn't look like there are. I will ask those for him. So his yeah, first question was: Is it a good idea for a supervisor to counsel an employee on personal problems? No. <laughs> okay, that was easy, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but, but but look, I mean, that's a loaded question, right? I mean, I just read an article in the journal about well, there's there's a growing sense that mental health is coming out of the dark ages, and people are willing to, so thanks to chemicals and drugs and so on, it's losing its stigma, thankfully. Um, by the way, Danny just ch ch texted me and says there's a question in the chat box. I don't know what the chat box is, so somebody's going to have to read it to me. Um, but but no, you you can't counsel. Okay, uh, a friend of mine once told me that the the, the appropriate phrase for managers, "Good luck with that." Uh, I think that's pretty crass. Um, now look, can you counsel somebody? No. Can you express concern? Can you listen? Can you offer to send them to employee assistance? Can you suggest I'm not the person to solve that problem? Uh, you know, if one of my directs came to me for marriage advice, I'd say, "You know, I'm divorced, right?" I you know, I'm sorry. Um, and I would chuckle about it a little bit. And I'll say, look, I'll be happy to listen. And, and our one-on-one -on -one is a chance for you to talk about whatever you want to talk about. If you want to talk about your marital problems, I will listen. And I won't help you solve them. And you should not assume I'm any good at that simply because I'm your boss, because I'm not. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong, though, with a manager saying, look, here's, I did some research. Here are some resources that are free. Here are some resources in your community. Here are some resources that the company has for that. But no, counseling, no, folks, you're not a counselor. You'll never be a counselor. And if you're licensed as a counselor, you don't get to do that when you're a boss. The bo being a boss is a role, and that role trumps all other roles. That's why we have a cast saying you can't be friends with your directs because being friends is a role, despite what Facebook says. Okay, what was the next question in that list? Uh, what can you do to ensure your accountability with your boss as it pertains to setting goals and accomplishments? Oh, boy, I, I think what I would do is document everything. And if your boss doesn't give you goals, say, look, um, I hope we have goals, but I've got some to work toward, and hopefully you'll approve them. If not, um, let me know what difference you have. And if you don't get any answer back or if they don't, they're too busy, work toward the goals that you stated, period. Um, I, I, if you're talking about accountability for your boss, <laughs> good luck with that. You can't, I mean, you can't make your boss do stuff. But if you're talking about your, getting, being accountable to your boss, you can be self-accountable. You can you can report on what you're doing, set goals, and work toward them. And yes, it's entirely possible that your boss is unethical, and he'll say, "Yeah, I know you told me A, B, and C, and I wish I'd have told you they really should be working on D, E, and F, but I didn't, and now I got to punish you because you didn't work on D, E, and F, and I wish you'd been smarter." Yeah, that happens, and it's totally wrong, and somebody ought to cut that manager's head off, but they don't because they're managers, and they get away with it. But what I would do is have email. Last question, Wendy, before we go to uh, last question. How can you manage how can you better manage a subcontractor that is underperforming and not easily replaced and they know it? <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, I hate those guys. Um well, for, first of all, go back to the service level agreement, the SLA. I bet there's an SLA that they're not meeting. Okay? Uh and the fact that they're not replaced, gather data on their failures. Okay? And I promise you, there are people who are willing to help you fire that subcontractor who's not easily replaced if he's a jackass about it or 
uh, if there's a, and if there's a lot of data. So start gathering data. Find out what the SLA is and make sure you capture everything they don't do relative to the SLA um, and everything they do relative to damaging relationships, uh, whether it's commu communication about the wrong things or under-communication about things that are related to the SLA. Build a case. Develop a relationship, build a case, and when it's strong enough, go to your boss. That's what I would do. When your boss says there's nothing you can do about it, hopefully the relationship you've been building will help you get them to improve and tell them point blank, look, I don't, I don't feel you're doing your job well enough. And when they tell you, well, there's nothing you can do about it, say, well, okay, well, look, can we work on doing, better, doing it better? And then just quietly keep track of all the stuff they're doing. And, and, you know, I just wrote a blog post about no magic bullets, no silver bullets, and, and there aren't in situations like that. All there is is a slow, steady drip, drip, drip of um, data over time. Okay, next. Okay. Patrick Leaconi, Lea, I can't say his name, suggests different meeting type. What fits in with MT advice? He warns against meeting stew, throwing all types into one meeting. I might read meeting stew into your suggestions for weekly staff meetings with the special meeting topic, strategic brainstorm, and updates from directs. He actually suggests real-time agenda for tactical staff meetings. What's most important right now? Wow. Okay. First of all, I just looked at the, the attendee list. There's a bunch of names I recognize, but one of the names that I see that, that I haven't seen in a while is Gary, Gary Slinger. Gary, hi. How are you? Um, in Florida, I assume. Um, look, Pat Lencioni has got great ideas. I love Pat's books. He signed a bunch of them for me. Um, I've given them to friends. I really like the one about uh, the five dysfunction of a team. I'm really, really good. I'm not a big fan of his meeting one, though. Um, I didn't really understand the question. Uh, you know, generally speaking, we recommend one-on-ones and staff meetings, and then there are project meetings and so on. But other than that, we generally think each meeting you conduct ought to have a purpose, and it ought to be around a specific type of work. You shouldn't just have meetings to discuss five or six different things, or if you do, it ought to be the purpose to make decisions about those five, six different things. The biggest problem with meetings is lack of purpose. I, I, I think I agree with what you're saying, that Pat doesn't like a meeting where there's a lot of stuff just talked about. But even if you had a meeting that was a potpourri of ten different things, but the potpourri was designed to come up with decisions for those ten things to move on to the next step, and those decisions were made, nobody would mind a potpourri meeting. But we say it's bad because it's a potpourri meeting, or it's a, you know it's the it's the kitchen sink in there, because well they're talking about too many things. No, it's because nobody knows what they're supposed to do, and managers don't ins in insist on agendas and so on. I've never seen a great meeting that isn't just a bull session, uh, a great pre-scheduled meeting with an agenda and a purpose with a reasonably good facilitator that people didn't say, I would go to meetings like this all day. And then that's why we give the guidance we do. If, if I've misunderstood your question in terms of restating what Pat says, look, I don't want to be arguing with Pat. I, I actually don't like the, the, the meeting thing, in fact, because he says they're like movies. I just think that's a bridge too far for me. It's like a movie. There's drama and there's resolution. No, sorry. I think it's a great book. I think people love the book. I think it's sold a lot of books, but that's not how I run meetings. Um, I'm a little bit more linear than that. It's not as sexy. I think Pat will always sell more books than me, but well, I certainly will if I don't get mine out. I don't know okay, if that helps a lot, but I hope a little. I read a bunch of emails that are coming in. Uh questions that are coming into my email. I think we've got time for one more, so I'm going to ask okay. you one more. Go ahead. 
So uh, Pam says, how does one interview the interviewer to determine your future boss's management style and whether you or not they use MD? You don't. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Now, okay, so Pam, but, but, but here's a good way to think about this. You don't do anything other than paying attention and draw a conclusion about whether you like the person or not. If you ever interview with somebody who just creeps you out, they're going to be a bad boss, trust me. But, but if you like the person well enough, if you get an offer, at the moment you get the offer, it's your turn to ask questions. I probably wouldn't ask. It would depend. I might, there might be some people I would ask, hey, can you tell me about your management style? You might ask questions along the lines of, tell me how do you run the team? Tell me what you look for in somebody who's really, really good. Again, this is after you have the offer. Tell me what a typical month is like, or tell me what a typical week is like. Tell me what your pet peeves are. How are we going to communicate about my performance? Now, if the guy says, oh, yeah, we'll talk regularly about that. Oh, really? How? What, you know, what, what formats, what structure do you have with that? Oh, you know, I'm not a big structure guy. We just, you know, I'll just keep in touch with you and let you know. Well, okay, then he's not probably an MT guy. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rule somebody out who wasn't an MT guy because he didn't say one-on-ones and feedback. Um, there are guys who don't use our models who really are good at talking about performance and developing a relationship. Um, but it would be after you got the offer, and there would be general questions about what the work life is like and what the relationship would be like and what they would expect of you. And if you get a lot of vague answers, you're probably going to have a vague boss. That's, that's been my experience. Do we have time for one more, Wendy, or – one more. Uh, what's the best way to run a hot wash with remote folks? I struggled with tools remotely to keep folks engaged in what I think Ooh. is a really important meeting. Yeah. First of all, make it a lot shorter. Make it 20 minutes. Okay, we do hot washes remotely all the time at our company. Now we only have five or six, seven people on the call, but it's very short, and it's bam, 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 bam. Okay, positive or negatives, uh, uh, you say it, we'll write it down. Ideally, have, have some technology that everybody's logged into a web conference or whatever, and one person is typing, so you can see the what went wells on one side and then take a look back on the other side. And say, look, it's going to be a 15-minute meeting, and we'll be done. The problem is people want to do hour-and-a-half-long hot washes, and you can't keep people in a remote location motivated for an hour and a half long hot wash. 15 minutes, you'll get 90% of the value of an hour meeting in 15 minutes. And that puts us out of time. One, one more thing I want to ask, guys. I know I was fast. I know some of you don't like the fact that I'm so direct. You put these many questions in front of me, it's going to be fast, and sometimes I'm going to have a sharp edge. I apologize for that. I've learned that I could soften myself. I'm doing my best. One more thing. Tell us what worked and what didn't work about this call. We love the fact that we could open up to non-licensees. We hope it helps. We, we hope the, the offer interests you. But we didn't do this just for the offer. We did because you want, you want answers to your questions. And unfortunately, I don't have enough time to go around and be everywhere everybody wants me to be. Please send me a note, marketmanager-tools.com. Okay, Wendy and I will look at every one of those mails. Tell us how you liked the call or whether you didn't. And you know what? If you're a friend of mine, if you're Gary, if you're, you know, if you're Gary don't not send one because you know that I'll think, oh, Gary thinks this is a great call, or Mia thinks this is a great call, or Eric Hippolito thinks it's a great call. Don't, don't do that. Send me a note and say, it was good. Don't change it. Or a little bit longer or less questions. You don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be huge. If you want to tell me a story, fine, tell me a story. I'll read every one of them, and I'll put a note either in my blog or in things I think I think um, or in the newsletter about what, what, we, um, what we heard back because we want to make these better. 
It's a lot of work. It took me all day Sunday and half of the day yesterday to get ready for these questions and to practice and to rehearse and so on. I didn't even do the delivery very well. But thank you all for being part of our community. I can promise you this is the greatest thing I've ever done in my life other than raise my kids, and it's because of people like you. Thanks. Good night, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, this will conclude our conference. Thank you for joining us today.